Well, good morning again. And if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do this morning. Go ahead and make your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, we were in 1 Thessalonians several weeks uh, ago, and we've been going through it now. Uh, we're hopping back into it. We took off the last two weeks primarily because of our missions focus weekend. And so we're going to pick up in the middle of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. And you saw the title, Turning the World Upside Down. It's because that's how the world describes what happened to the Thessalonians. God changed their hearts and their minds, and it literally changed the city and changed the region and turned the world upside down in God's might and His power. So we continue with that theme and continue through that series. But before we read today, let me just remind you guys, there's a, a little piece of paper in the uh, seat back in front of you. You can pull out there. And uh, this is a great privilege for us as a church to nominate our administrative team leaders and our deacon team leaders. We're extremely thankful for them. And it tells you a little bit on this piece of paper what their responsibilities are and what they do. And I just want to say that these guys, men and women, have led so well through our pandemic and have served in a number of different ways. And so if you are a church member, you're partnered in ministry and mission here, please take time to take this card to pray over who God would desire to help lead our church through serving and write these names down and then drop it in the giving box before the end of this month so that we can pray through those people and, and invite them to be on these teams and help serve and lead our church in some amazing ways. And so take this card, pray over those things. If you are a member, you can nominate somebody. If you're not a member, become a member of our church first or a partner in our church. And then make sure that you're nominating somebody who is a partner in the ministry and mission of our church already. And I want to say this, if you're not familiar, it, those who are deacons and on administrative team, if you're in the room right now, would you stand for just a minute? Look around, we had several last hour. If you are a deacon or administrative team, awesome. We just want to say thank you guys so much for what y'all do. We're grateful. And let me just say personally, um, I've seen through the pandemic them serve in a number of ways. Our administrative team helps to care for our finance and give us accountability there um, and has helped us to steward well through the midst of this pandemic, which has been crazy. Um, they've done an amazing job with that. And our deacons serve week in and week out by praying for us. They're the ones that are you see picking up the chairs afterwards and um, setting up the baptistry pool and all these different things they do week in and week out. And they have walked through some pretty tragic moments in our church and loved and cared for our family of faith here at Western Baptist Church really well. And so we're just grateful, so grateful for you guys. And so before we read, let me just pray and thank the Lord for his kindness to provide the leaders that we have. Let's pray. Lord, you are the ultimate example of what leadership looks like. You came not to, to be served, but to serve, to give your life a ransom for many. And so, Lord, we thank you for those that have sacrificed their time, their energy, and their effort to serve um, as a deacon here at our church or on the administrative team. God, we're grateful for that. And even this month, with it being Pastor Appreciation Month, Lord, I am so thankful for our staff here at the church. God, how they have sacrificed and served in a number of different ways, reflecting the way that you have sacrificed and served for us. And so, Lord, thank you for the privilege, the privilege of being able to serve you. And we just ask that you would continue to raise up um, more and better disciples, that they would help lead and get this gospel to the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that in ways that we don't even know. And, Lord, I pray today as we look at this passage that you would 
compel our hearts to live the gospel out, to walk in a manner that's worthy of you. God, we confess this morning that our thoughts are not your thoughts and our ways are not your ways. And so we need your help today to help us to understand your word, to help it to make sense like it never has before for us, that we may live it out for our good and ultimately for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 8. Paul writes and says, so being affectionately desirous of you. It's an interesting way to say how much he loves them, but love was not enough. Affectionately desirous of you. We are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the words of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as we did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, drove us out and displeased God. And opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measurement of their sins, that the wrath of God has come upon them at last. This is the word of God. This whole section, this whole section that that I'm reading here, it's founded in the root of verse 8. Paul's love for the people. Paul's love, he says, affectionately desires for you. He loved them so much, he desired what was best for them. And then at the very end of verse 8, he says, you became so dear to us. And this deep-rooted love for the people, this affection and this dearness that he had for them, it's fleshed out in a number of ways. This love compelled Paul to do things he never thought he would ever do. Because that's what real, genuine love does. It compels us to do things that we normally wouldn't do. Genuine love compels us back. Some of you are familiar with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And a couple years ago, he told the story on Instagram where he said, I was on my way to work. I was going out to shoot a film. And on the way out the door, my daughter, who was two years old at the time, said, Dad, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to work. And she's like, you don't need to go to work, Dad. And he's like, yeah, I need to go to work. She's like, no, 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 you need to get your nails painted, Dad. And he's like, what? No, 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 I need to go to work. And his daughter's like, no, Dad, you, you can't go to work until your nails are painted. And because he loved his daughter so much, what do you think happened, right? He's like, I love my daughter so much, yes, I'm going to let her paint my nails. And so he posted pictures of him getting his nails painted. This 260-pound meathead um, that's 
six foot two, you know, that he's there with his two-year-old letting him do his fingers. And so you can see him go a little bit further. He posts several pictures of it, him just, you know, getting his nails done. And then finally he did the finished product at the end of what it looked like, right? This is what love leads you to do. Things that you never thought you would do. You're like, what? Like, how, why, what, what's going on in this moment? Paul is doing the same thing in this passage. He's saying, my love for you has compelled me to do things that I never thought I would do. And one of them in verse 8, he says, this love has compelled me to share the gospel with you. It's the same for us, church. Love should compel us to share the gospel with others. And I love how he talks about it here. He says, love compares, compels me to share the gospel. It wasn't a sense of obligation. It wasn't an assignment that compelled him to share the gospel. It was his love and affection that caused him to say, I need to tell these people about the best news the world has to offer. It's amazing. It's his love that drew him to do that stuff, not, not compulsion. And I love the language it uses. It says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also ourselves. That word for share in this original language in Greek that this is written in is that you would give a piece to someone else, but you still hold on to it as well. That's what sharing is, right? Like you let somebody share something for a little bit and then you get it back. And what Paul's saying here is we needed this gospel desperately. We couldn't just give it away. We needed it as well. Just as much as you needed it, we needed it. And so we share this gospel that we so desperately needed with you while still holding on to this grace and this mercy that we so deeply needed. He's sharing the gospel because he loves them. He loves them. This past week in, in our small group, I guess maybe two weeks ago, one of our members in there said this great statement that I love. And it makes me think about this passage. We share the gospel out of love. He said, we are not salesmen with the gospel. We're not out there selling the gospel. It's not what we are. We're satisfied customers. And we're telling people about the greatest thing that the world has. And so that's what we are, church. In our love and in, our, in the mercy of God, he stirs our hearts to go out as satisfied customers with the gospel. That has changed our heart and changed our lives. And so we're not just selling it. We're, we're loving God and that love for God is causing us to love other people. You see, this gospel that he's proclaiming in this moment, that he says that we share with us, this is an amazing message. This is a, a truth that satisfies and ultimately fulfills our hearts and gives us forgiveness of our sins. And how this gospel happened was God broke into this world of time and space through the person of Jesus Christ. And when he did this, when he broke into this world of time and space, he brought forth this kingdom of forgiveness he brought forth this kingdom of hope, of freedom, and justice. He brought it all. So now it's found in Jesus. And Paul says in here, we didn't just share with you the gospel, but also our very lives. This is what the gospel is. Jesus didn't just come and share with us teachings. Jesus came and he gave his very life for us. This is the gospel. Jesus gave his life that we could be saved from our sins. That we could have hope in the midst of death. And despair. And this is what Jesus brings us. This is what Jesus calls us as believers to share with others. Not out of compulsion. Not out of legalism. But out of love. Out of love for him. And out of love for others. But the sobering reality is. Is that many times. Many times we don't share the gospel because we love ourselves more than we love others. 
I see this in my own heart. I found this root in there. There's times where I, I don't share the gospel because I'm afraid of, man, what if I get rejected? Or what if this creates conflict between me and that person? But ultimately, when I search my heart, what I find there is that's a love for myself. I don't want to be in an awkward situation. I don't want to have conflict between them. It's about me more than it is about God or about others. Church, if we really love the Lord, we will really love other people and share the gospel with them. This is what God is calling us to do. Some of you guys are familiar with Penn and Teller. They're an illusionist group um, that now has a TV show and they travel a lot and do different things. And a lot of people come and watch these two men do these different magic acts. But it's interesting because the taller man, the one with the black hair there, Penn Jeanette, is actually a strong atheist. I mean, he's written about it. He's had interviews with people just to proclaim, I don't believe in this whole God thing. I certainly don't believe in this gospel or Jesus. I don't believe in any of this. But what's interesting is you can go watch his video on YouTube. It's fascinating. I've watched it a number of times. He sits down after one of his shows that he does in front of his computer screen, I'm guessing, and he's having a conversation about how after the show that night, a man came up to him and gave him a Bible. And he said, I had interacted with this man before, and I knew, according to his words, he's like, I knew he wasn't crazy. He wasn't just like this weird, wacko religious person. Like, he genuinely cared for me. And he hands me this Bible, and he tells me about Jesus. Now, what's interesting is this man who's staunchly against this, this is the quote that he says on this YouTube video. He says, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who do not proselytize. That means to share the gospel. I don't respect them at all. He said, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever you think that is, well, and it's not really worth telling other people about it because it would make it socially awkward. He said, man, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. He said, how much do you have to hate someone to believe an everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? He said, I mean, if, if I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming and it was going to hit you, and you didn't believe the truck was going to hit you and was bearing down on you, that at a certain point, I would run and tackle you. He said, how much more important is this than a truck bearing down on you? Man, this is amazing. This is an atheist saying, and if you're going to say you're a Christian, you believe in heaven and hell and that there's eternal life, and you're not willing to tell other people about it, man, I have no respect for you. And not only do I not have respect for you, he says, how much do you have to hate someone to say, I've got eternal life, but I'm not telling you about it. What? What? Like I, conviction coming from an atheist for us as Christians. This is incredible. Church, may we have a greater love for people that we would tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. May we be affectionately desirous for our neighborhoods and our families and our workplaces that they would become dear to us, that we would share the gospel with them, that we would share our own lives with them. But some of you are thinking, man, there's no way possible I could do that. That's where Paul was. But when he fell in love with God, it changed his life. And he looked at these people and he loves them because God loves them. He shares the good news of Jesus Christ. So love compels us to share the gospel. But love also compels us to lift burdens. If you look back in verse 9 in the text, 
he says, for you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. For we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel to you. Paul's saying right here, he's like, we didn't want to be a burden to you at all. So what did we do? We, we labored and we toiled. And those are two different words. That word for labor right there means you work until you're weary. I'm just exhausted. We were working so hard. And they weren't even just exhausted. That word for toil means to the point of pain. Paul was like, we worked so hard and so diligently, our bodies ached. Our minds were sore. We had headaches. We literally worked day and night. In the book of Acts, it talks about how Paul had an apron and how he had a handkerchief. And you're like, what in the world? Why does Paul have an apron and a handkerchief? And everybody wants it. They're like, man, I'd love to have the apron. I'd love to touch that handkerchief. Like, what is that all about? The reason why Paul had an apron on is because he was working. He was a tent maker. Like he was literally working with his hands. And then he had a handkerchief. Why? Because he was sweating. He was working so hard, he'd pull out a handkerchief and he had to wipe the sweat from his brow. He was working so hard. Why? Why was he working so diligently night and day? That he wouldn't be a burden to any of them. He wouldn't be a burden to any of them. So that people wouldn't look at him and say, ah, the only reason you're preaching the gospel is for money. It's the only reason you're doing it. Eh. No, he's like, we don't want to be a burden to you. We'll work extra hard so that you would hear and see Jesus saved. Paul didn't want any one person to have to bear the burden of fortune. And what's amazing about this is, Paul comes into the city of Thessalonica, and he works to the point of exhaustion. And then as he leaves and goes to the next city, the Thessalonians give generously to him. He's like, hey, you lifted burdens for us, Paul, so that we could believe the gospel. Now we're going to work and we're going to give financially to you to lift the burdens from you, Paul. You lifted the burden from us, now we're lifting the burden for you so the gospel can go forth to other people. I mean, do you know what the feeling is when somebody lifts a burden for you? I mean, have you ever had that moment in your life where either financially or even emotionally somebody helps kind of lift a burden from you? Like, it's an amazing feeling. And they do that because they love you. They love you. I can remember back when I was in college, we were poor college students, uh, me and my, my roommates, but there were the, this couple that just loved us, and so they every so often would give us a gift card to Harris Teeter. And Harris Teeter was way out of our price range in college, like way out of our price. We couldn't afford that. And they would give us this $100 gift card, and we just thought it was amazing. It lifted a financial burden for us, and for a moment, for a moment, we would go and we'd splurge at Harris Teeter. I mean, we would go, and instead of getting Tostino's pizza, like, we would get DiGiorno pizza. Like, that was a big deal. And instead of getting ramen noodles, we would go to upscale progressive chicken noodle soup. Like, we felt great in that moment. Just like, this is amazing. Why did they do that? Why did they give us these gift cards? Because they loved us. That love compelled them to, to lift burdens for these guys going to seminary to serve others. And church, let me ask you today. To share that, that, that feeling of, man, it's so good to have a burden lifted for me. And the way I want to encourage you to think about it is by asking you two questions. Is there a burden right now? Is there a burden that you can lift from someone that they would see the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is there a burden that you could lift to someone so they would see the gospel of Jesus? See, that's what Paul's doing in this moment. He's lifting a burden so that they would see the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And church, I just want to encourage you for a moment because small groups are doing this. And one of our small groups did this in an amazing way, and I praise God for this. They heard about one of the people in their small group, their next door neighbor, her husband passed away immediately, like just unexpected, quick. And so this, this mom with young kids is trying to figure out, like, what do I do? What do I do? And this small group decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to come alongside and, and love this lady. Why? Does she go to our church? Is she a believer? No. Because God called us to love. And so this small group started to bring meals for her. They would uh, take care of the kids for a little bit. They even helped her move certain things in her house if she couldn't do it alone. And they actually had somebody come in and clean the house for her. Just to love her and to pray for her in the midst of a hard and difficult time. Church, you're doing this. I'm just asking you to continue to do this. To continue to lift burdens for people so they would see Jesus Christ in and through you. So is there somebody in your life that you know does not know the Lord? That you can love this week and lift a burden from them. That they would see Jesus. And second, is there a believer that you can help lift a burden this week so they can walk more closely with Jesus? In the book of Galatians, the Bible, the book of Galatians chapter 6, it says this, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. That's a short sentence, but that's a heavy load, okay? Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the law of Christ? What's the law of Christ? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. You can live these two things out, you will fulfill all of the law by living these things out. Loving God and loving others. And so here in Galatians, that's what he's highlighting. If you bear one another's burdens, you're loving them. And as you love them, you're fulfilling the law of Christ in this moment. So church, take time to think about other believers in your life that are going through maybe emotional suffering and pain, or financial or physical. Pray for them, call them up, send them a letter. Help bear those burdens for the glory of Jesus Christ. Love them so well, you'll sacrifice them. So love will compel us. It'll compel us to share the gospel. It'll compel us to, to lift burdens. But a real Christian love will also call us to remove barriers and beliefs. To remove barriers and beliefs. In verses 10 and 11, it's interesting here because Paul is talking about we've been sharing the gospel with you, we've been lifting burdens, and then verse 10, Paul kind of turns to himself. And he's like, hey, you're our witness, and God is our witness how we lived. How we lived our lives. And he says, look at our conduct. In verse 10, he says it was holy, it was righteous, and it was blameless. What in the world is Paul doing right here? He's saying, we loved you so much, it shaped the way that we lived our lives. And you're witnesses of this. You're witnesses of this. That we lived in such a way that you couldn't look at us and say, man, they're a hypocrite. You can look at our lives and say, yes, they believe this, but they also live this out. You see, for many of us, maybe in this room or watching online, some of the reasons why you do not believe the gospel is because the person that shared the gospel with you. You don't even, you haven't even read the pages of know who Jesus really is. You're just like, man, I know the person that shared the gospel with me, and I don't want anything to do with that. They're a hypocrite. They don't forgive like they say they forgive. Or a pastor preached it, and you're like, man, I saw him wreck his life, and he ran off with a, another woman and left his family, and man, I don't believe any of this. Paul in this moment is highlighting, 
man, the way that we live our lives as Christians is extremely important. And the way we live our lives, if we live it according to the word of God and we walk worthy of God, it will remove barriers of belief. Brendan Manning said it like this. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then they walk out the door and they deny him by his lifestyle. And that is what an unbelieving world simply finds sad, but I believe it's the truth. Church, we have to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Our lives should look different. Our marriage should look different. Our families should look different. Our work ethic should look different. And Paul in this passage knows how important our lifestyle is. When we've been saved by God, he changes us and he knows it's so important. In verse 11, he says, okay, I'm going to put on my dad hat for a minute. I'm going to be like a father. You know I was like a father. What did I do as a father? Verse 12. Three things. I exhorted each one of you. I encouraged you. And I charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. He's like, guys, this is so important to remove barriers of unbelief that I'm going to say it not once, not twice, three times in three different ways. And I think that's why he says, you know, I was like a father. I had to repeat myself a lot. Had to keep saying it over and over again. Do you get it? Do you get it? You didn't get it. Let me say it differently. Let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Okay, let me try this way. So each one of these words means something different. And so when he says, we ex- ex- exhorted you, what that means is we helped you. It literally means to walk alongside. He's like, we walked alongside you and said, this is how you love and share the gospel with others. And this is how you labor and toil so that people would see Jesus in you. We walked with you. Then he's like, we didn't just walk with you and help you. He says, we encouraged you. That, that's a word that you would use to somebody who's weary and faint-hearted. You would say, no, come alongside them, like, get up. You want to quit? You want to lie down? No, 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 come on, let's get up. We got to keep going forward. And then like a father, it says he charged them or urged them. He spurred them forward to walk in a manner that's worthy of God. He's like, this is what we did for you because we know this is so important. And church family, this morning as I was praying this passage for us today, I got to verse 12 where it says, walk in a manner worthy of God. And I'm like, what's the, the weight of that? Like, think about that for a minute. Walk in a manner worthy of God. What is God worthy of? Everything. Everything. Our, our life, our work, our thought life, our speech, God is worthy of it all. He created it all. He holds it all together. It's all for him. What is he worthy of? Every single aspect of our lives. That could be a sermon in itself. But thankfully I don't have to do that because the rest of the book of Thessalonians is all about that. How do we walk in a manner that's worthy of God? So literally he's going to say, this is what your thought life should look like. This is how your thought life should be in a manner worthy of God. This is how your sex life should be to the glory of God. This is how your work life should be to the glory of God. He's going to unpack this, so we don't have to do it all today. But I do want us to see the importance of Paul and what he's highlighting here. We exhorted you, we encouraged you, we charged you. The way that you live your life impacts whether others believe or not. So as I thought about this this week and prayed about this, there's a couple things I would say for us as a church. If we want to break down these barriers, if we want to remove these barriers of unbelief so that people would see Jesus, then first, church, we have to repent. 
we as believers have to repent well. To say we should walk in a manner worthy of God does not mean that we never make a mistake. It means that when we make mistakes, we don't remain in them. We don't stay in them. We turn from them and say to that person and to God, I was wrong. I sinned. I messed up. I truly believe this is one of the biggest parenting tools we need in our world today is that our kids would hear us repent and apologize to Scripture. I mean, there are times I look at my kids and I'm like, I am sorry that dad said that to me. I'm sorry that dad didn't keep his word. I I repent to my kids. Our kids need to know what repentance looks like so that one day as they grow up, they can understand repenting to a heavenly father when they see their sin. Church, if we don't repent, the world's going to look at us and call us hypocrites. May we repent well, but also may we serve well. I was thinking people within our church, specifically spouses, that one spouse comes to church and is a believer and the other's not. And I want to just encourage you, if you're that spouse, believe me, to love and to serve your spouse well. Don't come out of here and be like, man, I got a lot of stuff. I'm just going to bang them over the head and just beat them into guilt and shame and guilt and shame them to come here. And when they guilt and shame, then they're going to hear about this great grace and mercy that's not going to guilt and shame them. No, go home and serve them well. And they're going to be like, wait, what? Why? Why are they doing this? (laughs) Why are they serving me? Why are they encouraging me instead of breaking me down and making me feel guilty all the time? Because of what God has done for us. Church, may we, may we serve well. And students, if you want to reach your, your college campus, you want to reach your, your school, then you need to care well for other people. Care well for them. There was a girl that uh, went to the church I was at up in Raleigh, and she was actually a part of the worship team. And I asked her one time, like, how did you come to know the Lord? And it was interesting, she was like, well, I was an atheist all through high school and then going into college. And she's like, not only was I an atheist, like, I enjoyed mocking and making fun of Christians. Like, when somebody was like, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm like, mm, this is going to be fun. Like, I can't wait to make fun of them. And I'm like, okay, you went from mocking and making fun of people to like, now you're a Christian leading on a stage in worship, asking other people to say, Lord, we need you. We need you. You didn't even believe in him. What you, how did you make that shift? And she's like, man, people were just kind. <laughs> she's like, I met this girl and, um, and she was just really kind in college. And I thought, man, she's fake. And the more time I spend with her, I'm going to see that she's fake. And I'm going to show her she's a hypocrite and all this weird stuff in her story. And she's like, as I spent more time with her, like, she just really cared for me. She loved me. And I just couldn't find anything to make fun of her about. And I was like, maybe, maybe this stuff is true. And she started meeting with this girl. And this girl shared the gospel. And she believed. And now literally an enemy is now a follower of Christ. Why? Just because somebody loved and cared for somebody else. Sometimes we make sharing the gospel so much harder than it needs to be. We can just love and care for people. Another thing is, if you want to be a light and remove barriers, then stop complaining. Just just stop complaining. If you want to change your workplace, then don't complain. In the book of uh, Philippians, it says, do all things without grumbling and complaining, and you will shine as lights in a crooked and perverse generation. What is it about? You're saying the way that we as Christians shine as lights is we just don't complain? Exactly. That's it. And people in your workplace are going to be like, hey, man, come on this complain train. We're going out to lunch today and we're going to complain about everything. No. Like, man, I'm thankful for these things. Our hearts are so bent towards complaining, but God's word says 
and you want to break down some barriers and maybe people ask why are you different and stuff, then, then just quit complaining about it. Be thankful and grateful for what God has given you and how he's placed you in a specific place, even if it is difficult. Church, if we do these things, we'll start to remove barriers and we'll start to see more people asking about the gospel and us being able to share the gospel more faithfully. So let's do what? Let's grow. The last thing we see in this passage is that love compels us to live humbly. Love compels us to live humbly. The last several verses, kind of 13 through 16, by the way, it tells us in here basically to endure. It's fascinating in this passage. Paul tells us that when we love people, they're going to respond in one of two ways. And at least for me, I would assume if I'm loving somebody, I'm sacrificing for them, I'm sharing my life with them, I'm toiling for them, I'm helping to remove barriers. If I'm like pouring out all of this for them, then they're just going to love me back. And they're just going to give me hugs. I'm going to be so well received all the time. Like this is going to be amazing. But in this passage, it tells us that, yeah, there are some who believe. And Paul says that in verse 13. It's amazing. They hear the word of God and they accept it as the word of God. And it's working in their lives. So some people do hear and they respond. But Paul also says, you're also going to meet a lot of opposition. He said, you've suffered as a church and you've seen opposition come upon you. And so sometimes we share the gospel and we love people and we're just met with suffering and opposition. That's what we get. And it's just like, what in the world? Like, why would we endure? Why would we do that? Because we truly love them. We truly love them. And Paul in this moment, like, when he writes right here, this sounds harsh. Like, really harsh. Like, these people, they killed Jesus and the prophets. They kicked us out of the city and it displeased God. The end of verse 15, it actually says, they opposed all mankind. That's a big deal. All mankind? Like, really? How did they do that? By hindering them from sharing the gospel that others might believe. Now, Paul doesn't hate them. He's not anti-Semitic. For context is so key. If you read the book of Romans, Paul actually writes and says, man, to the to my brothers and the Jews, like, I wish that I could give my salvation so that they could be delivered. Paul is not saying this out of hatred in this moment. He's like, could you please believe? Like, I would give my whole salvation, which I've never gotten there. I don't think I'll ever get there. But Paul's like, I would give up my salvation so I could go to hell as long as they could believe. That's where he is. And I think the reason why Paul does that is because it's ultimately reflecting what Christ did for you and for me. This is what Jesus did. He loved us so much that he perfectly lived out all of these things. He came to heaven or came from heaven to earth to share with us the gospel. How did he share the gospel with us? By sharing his very life with us. Jesus did not come and teach and then go back to heaven. This is the gospel. No, he came and he gave his life. He gave his very self for us. He came and he, he lifted burdens from people by healing them and by speaking truth to them and forgiving them of sins. His conduct was holy and righteous and blameless. Nobody could look at him and say, oh, you're just doing this for a foul motive. No. He did all those things because of the love that drew him to do these things for us that we can't do. And so Paul would look at you and me and say, hey, some people are going to believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some people are going to respond 
with opposition, but endure as Jesus endured to bring us the gospel. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the one that helps us endure. He's the one that helps us to love when no one loves us. I love how Hebrews chapter 12 says it, and I end with this. Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses says this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility from him, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. God's word is saying, if you want to love in the midst of opposition, in the midst of suffering, you have to look to Jesus, who ultimately suffered, and who endured it. How did Jesus endure the cross? How did he endure the shame and hostility? It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy that was set before him. How do we love like this? Because we realize we don't stay in the temporal, but there's an eternal aspect of life. All the suffering and pain and brokenness that we feel right now, this rejection that we might receive, it's a drop in the ocean compared. Jesus, looking at the joy set before him, knowing he was going to sit at the right hand of God, said, I will endure suffering and pain and ridicule. The same has to be true for us. And the same was true for Paul. That's why I said a couple weeks ago, this book that's showing us how we walk in a manner worthy of God, every single chapter ends with reminding us of the second coming of Christ. Paul's like, I know this is hard. I know that pain is difficult. I know that sin is a struggle. But remember, Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. And Paul, at the very end of this chapter, in chapter 2, we'll look at it next week, this is what he says. For what is our hope? or our joy, or crown, or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming, when he comes again. He says, is it not you? Is it not you? The ones that he loved and he shared the gospel with. He said, for you are our glory and our joy. Church, may we see beyond the temporal to the eternal in the midst of suffering and pain, that we would continue to endure and love well for Jesus thank you that we can love because of what you have done for us. And if we don't know your love, there's no way that we can love others. And so we just say thank you that it starts with you, but at the same time, your word says that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. So it finishes with you too. So those of us that would struggle to love, those of us that would struggle to share, Lord, we look to you and ask that you would strengthen us strengthen the work of our hands for your glory. And Lord, I pray for the one who maybe is like Karen Gillette that doesn't know you. Lord, they might not really even know who you are because they've just looked at others' lives and said, I don't believe that because I've seen it. Lord, I pray for them today. I ask that you would help them to see you clearly and what you did for them. How you broke through time and space, and you came in the person of Jesus to take on our burdens of sin, to take them to the cross, to bear them for us, that we too might be forgiven.
helping to see that moment. And I would say if that is you today, that you can pray right now and receive Jesus, that you want that kind of love and you want to be that kind of love to a broken and lost world, that you can pray to him right now and he will save you. But if you're still here and you have a question in your heart that concerns, you're still trying to figure out who this Jesus is and what this gospel message is, let me just invite you to please come after service and talk with one of one of our other pastors who would love to share Jesus with you, that you would believe like others have at this church over the last couple months, and they would come into life and be transformed. Lord, we pray, we pray now that we would be worshiping for you, that we would behold you and fix our eyes on you. And Lord, you are so good. And at the same time, Lord, help us to leave here with joy, to live out the gospel, to walk in a manner that honors you. We need you, Lord. Church family, let's stand and let's sing two last songs. One, Behold the Lamb, that you would fix your eyes on Jesus. We would do that. And that we as a church would sing with joy. And that joy would leave this house and would go to our neighborhoods, to the nations. Let's sing these together.